Hi everyone, I'm Frank Rock and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 14 of the 2017-2018 curling season. This week we preview the U.S. Olympic trials that get underway on November 11th at the Baxter Arena in Omaha, Nebraska with Phil Drobnik of USA Curling and Joe Calabrese of 1210 Sports and the Extra Extra End podcast. We will share a clip from our Canadian Olympic pre-trials preview that was posted on the weekend and we continue our Road to Ottawa series with an exclusive interview with Mike McEwen who discusses the ups and downs faced by his team over the current Olympic cycle and shares how his team has prepared for the upcoming trials in Ottawa. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. We start off our podcast this week with our one-minute recap of results from week 13 of the curling season. At the Ashley Home Store Classic in Penticton, Team Kui earned their first title of the season by defeating Team Adina of Sweden 7-6 in the championship final. Meanwhile, Mark Keane and his team defeated Team Horgan of Sudbury 7-6 in an extra end to win the title at the Cookstown Cashbill. And in the final men's event of Week 13, Dennis Bone continued the Bone Brothers' dominance on the Manitoba Tour this season, defeating Team Hunt 7-1 for his second title of the season. On the women's tour at the Royal Lepage OCVA Classic in Kempville, Team McDermott of Halifax won the title by defeating Team Vrana of Sweden 7-5, and in the other women's event on the weekend, Team Vidmer of Switzerland defeated Team Baksheva of Russia 9-6 to win the Tallinn International Challenger in Estonia. Our first guest for the U.S. Olympic Trials preview is national team coach for USA Curling, Phil Drobnik, who joins us to discuss the teams in USA Curling's high-performance program and how they have been performing and progressing this season in the lead-up to the Olympic Trials next week in Omaha, Nebraska. Phil, it has been a solid season so far by several American teams in USA Curling's high-performance program that have been stepping it up in the weeks leading up to the Olympic Trials. I was hoping we might take a few seconds and discuss each of the teams from the HPP that are headed to the Olympic Trials and where you see them in their progression so far this season. Let's start with Team Schuster, who started off the season with a second-place finish in their first event and did qualify for the quarterfinals in two difficult events, including the first Grand Slam of the season, but they probably haven't had the results that they were expecting so far in 2017-2018. Most people would still consider them the favorites in part because John Schuster has had a lot of success in the trials in the past, but has their confidence perhaps taken a hit this season, or are they simply working on some things to help them at the trials, at which point, specifically in an Olympic season, the results on the World Curling Tour might become somewhat secondary? John's team's, uh, as you said, started off the season um, uh, really well at the Slam. They also qualified in the, in the Can-Ad Inns in a couple weeks ago. And, you know, the, the season's been focused on goals and, and trying to get our team systems in place, trying to make sure that they're prepared to hit the ice um, when uh, at the trials. Uh, results, you know, obviously are good and, and help out and making money, but um, really to, to set goals for the weekend, make sure that they've, they've accomplished what they need to accomplish and, and really get things systems-oriented so that everything's, everything's ready to roll. So I would say they, they're, they're as confident as they, as they could be going into trials. Um, they know that if they play their game, they feel they're the best team in the in the country and and have a potential to uh, compete with the best in the world. So um, 
you know they 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 showed that they didn't have particularly a great season in terms of results last year and uh, got to nationals and really turned it on the the second half of the season really and and had a great nationals and went undefeated there and then uh you know a, a pretty good worlds too so um I'd really look forward uh, or look for them to be to, they they are the favorite going into the trials no doubt and um to look for them to have their A game there Team McCormick won a number of events last season, but when we spoke in early September, you indicated that the plan this season was to get the team into events with deeper fields so that they could get more reps against high-ranked teams. As a result, they've won one event so far this season compared to four last season, but I'm wondering if you are satisfied with their progression in those games against tougher competition. Yeah, I think, they, I think they've had a, good, a really good second year as a team. Um, they've, they've got an opportunity to play in a slam. They've got an opportunity to play in Europe. They've they've played against the top teams. They've played really good games against the top teams. You know, last year they played in the Slam and and were 0 for 3. This year had a potential chance to qualify, uh, lost on the last sh- uh, shot to Adin. Um, so you know, really they're really happy with how the t- the team is progressing. This weekend, even up in in Sarnia, they they uh, uh, had a had a little setback. Uh, they didn't qualify, however. Um, you know they lost uh, on, the, on the last shot to Howard, so still, still uh, a good season for those guys. There, they keep getting better um, every time they're on the ice, and uh, you know it, it's it's really exciting to have so many teams competitive out uh, out on the World Curling Tour circuit from the U.S. on the, on on both sides. Last season, Craig Brown and his team qualified in a number of events, but failed to advance past the quarterfinals. And the pattern seems to be continuing this season, where they'll qualify to play on Sunday, but haven't had much success on the final day of events. How close do you believe Team Brown are to a breakthrough performance? Well, fortunately, there's no games on uh, on Sunday, and the championship will be on Saturday for them, so they won't have to worry about that Sunday uh, uh... Uh, hex or whatever or whatever you'd call it. But um, yeah, they 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 still continued that down that stretch of uh on Sundays they 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 play well in round robins or 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 the triples and they get themselves to qualify in the playoffs and uh, uh as you said they they hit that Sunday and and um have struggled but um you know they're close they're definitely close and and they they've beat some some good teams this year and uh you know as everyone knows trials is is you know the goal is going to be to get in the the best of three final and then from there it's a different world so it's uh um, two teams uh, and playing three games, so um, you know they've they've been pretty good in round robins. So um, I, I, I you know I, I'd look for them to be pretty good in the round robin at the trials and uh, and um, you know and, and and be definitely in contention to get themselves into the into the best of three. And you know at some point they um, you know you got to expect that they're going to get over that that hurdle. Craig's a, a veteran skip and has a good opportunity to uh, to lead these guys. Um, and uh, he you know he's. Uh, I'm guessing there's not going to be a ton of Olympic trials left for him, so um, you know it's going to be all out on the uh, all out on the ice for him. And let's move on now to the three women's teams in the high performance program that will be in Omaha for the U.S. Olympic trials. When we spoke at the start of the season, you were hoping that Team Christensen would be able to continue their growth as a team, and they seem to be on the right track, having qualified for the playoffs in three of their six events this year, often playing very well against higher ranked teams. You know, it's been uh, I, I spent a lot of time with them this season, and it's been a lot of fun there. They've got a lot of energy. They're 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 growing every week. They're on the ice. They they went over to to Sweden and and had a really good event over there. Uh, qualified in the European event. They qualified uh, seaside at the Canads in um, in in Portage, uh, having to win four in a row. 
uh, through C. So they've got a lot of grit. Um, they they get their backs against the door and they and they find ways to win. So um, and you know that's a lot of time. A lot of times with a young team, when things start to spiral, they 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 allow it to spiral. This team doesn't do that. They they they're able to get themselves out of it. So um, even though they're still going into the trials as you know, the third-ranked team, the the underdog. You know, they they're not going to go away. So it's going to be uh, uh, they're they're ready, and um, you know they've worked hard this season, and, and uh, they're definitely going to be a factor at the trials. And if they can get themselves in that best of three final, they they uh, they'll have a very good opportunity to uh, to win that. When we spoke earlier this season, you indicated that the key for Team St. Clair, the reigning U.S. Women's Champions, was going to be to stay focused through the whole season and not have lapses in concentration like they seemed to have last season. Since we had that conversation, Team St. Clair has won an important World Curling Tour event, the Shorty Jenkins Classic, and have had good results in the two Grand Slams they've played in as well. How would you gauge their start to the season? Yeah, they've, they've definitely uh, stepped up their game this year. You know, to go out and win the, win the Shorty and... Uh, um, they had good, good, like as you said, good performances in two slams. Uh, Jamie's been playing great, so um, that's that's been a key to that team, and uh, they they definitely have locked their name in. I would say as a as a top 15 team in the world, and and a team that you know when you see them on the draw board and you got to play them, you know it you you know that uh, you've got a really good team stepping out on the ice. Um, you know they've they've competed against the top teams uh, in and out all year long, so. They've they've had a great season and they are uh, coming into trials on a on a high note. So um, yeah, lots lots of good things in general happening on the women's side in USA curling. It's I'm just impressed with uh, with all three teams uh, and their play this season. When we spoke in September, you felt that Team Roth could become a top team in the world this season, which was a good call as they've been in the top 10 for parts of the season. They have qualified in three of five events, including a big win at the Canadiens Classic, where they defeated five of the teams ranked in the top 20, including three of the top five. A title against the field that tough certainly had to give Team Roth a lot of confidence as they head to Omaha for the trials. Well, first, I want to make note that I actually got a prediction, right, which is, you know, that in itself is good. They, they've been great, yeah. So the, the on, on the on the Canads, this team they played with so much confidence in the Canads, and and it doesn't matter who they're playing. They had that great finish in Calgary, and you know they lost to they lost on the last shot to Rachel. Um, they're competing with the best in the world, and they believe that they can beat anybody. So this team, I, I, in my opinion, uh, as we talked early in the year, they they felt uh, I, I felt like if they went to the to the Olympics, they they'd They'd be a contend, potentially be a contender based off of their finish at Worlds last year. The progression that this team has made this year is, uh, you know, if they win trials, they're they're going to be a medal contender at the Olympics. Which, uh, you know, four years ago I wasn't sure that we'd have on the women's side with all of our our veterans retiring and and having the new core come through. And um, it's it's just been impressive to see how watch these teams grow as a team so um there's no doubt they've they've uh they they started the year at this first slam and it, it took a and and it, they didn't start off that great but since then they have been on a roll and they're playing some really good curling right now so um if they're on their a game at the trials there's no doubt they're going in as the favorite um and uh they will definitely be reckoned to, to uh, there if, if they're playing their best I believe that most, if not all, of the high-performance teams were on site in Omaha for the Curling Night in America tapings earlier this season, and I was wondering what feedback you had heard about the venue and the quality of the ice at the Baxter Arena in Omaha. 
yeah, the the venue was great. The 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 crowds were great for 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 that event, and um, they're only going to be uh, bigger for for the Olympic trials because uh, obviously, you know, there's there's eight teams competing and families coming down, and 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 the communities really embrace this opportunity to host an Olympic trial. So it's really exciting to go into a. Um, I don't remember us going into a, a city uh, where the Olympic trials were that has had this much excitement going into them, especially a city that that um, you know isn't traditionally known as a curling city. So um, that's this. It's really uh, it's really exciting for the game, and um, and it's really exciting for the athletes. It's uh, the ice. Uh, I have no doubt. Um, Dave Stavateg's doing the ice. That the ice is going to be world class ice. He's the head ice maker at the men's world championship in Vegas in April, and he always produces uh, an unbelievable product when he puts ice out. Um, so the athletes know exactly what to expect. Um, we know that we're going to get a lot of curl. We know that it's going to be 15 hog to hog, and um, it's uh, it makes it easy for them to prep. Uh, and maybe not particularly, it might be difficult to find ice to prep on with that speed and that much curl, but mentally, um, with your imagery and visualization, and having seen the arena, it makes the uh, it makes the prep really easy for them. Um, so I can imagine that in the next couple of weeks, all of the athletes that are competing in the trials will be spending a lot of time um, working on hit and split times and uh, and and using their imagery and um, visualization to get themselves most prepared for the for the trials. And finally, Phil, can you point to two or three key things that the teams participating in the Olympic trials in Omaha will have to do in order to win the right to represent the U.S. at the Olympics in Pyeongchang? I would say the first thing that they're going to have to do is have trust and confidence. They're going to have to believe in their. They're going to have to be uh, believe in their team because, as you know, in a long week, there's going to be some things that don't go right. And if you trust each other and you believe that the the processes that you have in place will carry you through that little lull and 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 bring you back up. You're you're in a good spot, I would say. Uh, from the mental side, that's that's the big part. And then uh, the other thing is, um, we know on on championship ice that the team that draws and throws the soft weight shots the best that week is going to win. So and that's kind of what's brought John the, as an example. That's kind of what's brought John to win over the last few few years is is they've they've been really good at the soft weight shots so um whatever team it is out of the five men's teams or the three women's teams that that can can lock in on draw weight and and get those hacks and bumpers um and and nail those uh, all week long is going to be the team that's on top of the podium in uh um on saturday at the and be heading to uh korea for the olympics our second guest for this U.S. Olympic Trials preview is Joe Calabrese of 1210 Sports and co-host of the Extra Extra End podcast. Joe joins us to discuss how the eight teams that will be at U.S. Trials have fared so far this year, and he'll also discuss what each team needs to do and what they need to avoid in order to be successful at the trials. Joe, let's start with Team Schuster, who probably haven't had the results some would expect so far this season, but who remain a clear contender at the Olympic Trials. Sure, Frank. So, you know, the John Schuster team, they're the 2017 uh, USA Curling National Champions. They won that back in February, and then they went on to take fourth place at Worlds uh, in March, uh, in April. Um, they started their season uh, making the final in, the, uh, in their first event this season in Winnipeg. Then uh, they made the quarterfinals in the Tier 1 uh, Tour Challenge Slam back in September. Uh, in route, they beat uh, Kevin Cooey and, and Peter DeCruz. 
um, which is a pretty big deal. The DeCruz rink has ha- kind of had their number, so uh, it's been nice to see uh, Schuster kind of get one back against them. Uh, then they went 2-3 and three at the Shorty Jenkins Classic, uh, but they beat Craig Brown in that event, and that's one of the teams that they're going to be playing in the trials uh, in just a week or so. After that, they struggled a little bit in Saskatoon. They only went 1-3, uh, didn't make the playoffs there. But uh, after that, they made the quarterfinals in their next event after a couple weeks off in Manitoba. Uh, this past weekend, they were 1-3 at the Masters. So they, they struggled a little bit, but they were playing some top-notch competition. And you know that's really, uh, I would say, the strength of this Schuster team is the competition that they play. They're going to be really ready for, uh, for the trials uh, uh, just in a couple, a couple days. You've touched on the fact that Team Schuster has played a lot of the top teams in the world heading into the trials, but I'm wondering if there is something this team needs to avoid in Omaha in order to attain their objective of representing the U.S. at the 2018 Olympics. Yeah, you know, I think uh, going back quickly, uh, I think one thing that they have also going for them is that they they have this style of selective aggression. It's worked really well for them for the last two seasons, uh, and I think if they can continue that, they're going to be really successful at trials. I would say the thing that they maybe have to work at, work out, um, and it's sort of shown in the last couple Olympic cycles, is outward frustration when a shot maybe doesn't go their way. Um, Schuster's been really good about putting bad shots behind him since the last Olympic cycle. Um, the chances are really good this team is going to make the playoffs or the trials unless they somehow beat themselves, and I think that that's the thing that they ought to be looking out for. The last season, Team McCormick was a new team and did quite well, especially early in the season. Results have been a little bit more muted this season as they have played in events with more elite teams involved. The question is whether the improved competition has helped Team McCormick in their progression as a team heading into the trials. Frank, after a, a very disappointing 2017 Nationals, um, the McCormick rink got picked uh, by uh, USA Curling to take on Team's uh, international competition at Curling Night in America, and that taped back in August. So, uh, those events have been uh, being shown on uh, NS, I'm sorry, NBCSN uh, over the next few weeks, and so you'll get to see them in action if you're if you're watching on uh, on your TV. But uh, that event happened back in August, and then in September, the team lost in the semifinals of the Stu Cells in Oakville versus an up-and-coming South Korean team. Um, they took their lumps in their first Grand Slam of the year. They went one and three with their lone win against Kyle Smith from Scotland. Uh, but then they traveled to Switzerland, and they went 2-3 and three in the Swiss Cup. Uh, they defended their title um, in St. Paul, and the highlight of that event actually was a, sort of a weird schedule quirk where four of these five trials teams wound up in the same playoff draw. And uh, so as a result, they wound up beating Burr and Brown in the playoffs. So they have some uh, experience, some really recent experience against these trials teams. Then they went on to play in the Arena Challenge, and they lost in a C qualifier event. And, and then this past weekend, they were in uh, Heater's home in Sarnia, and uh, they went 2-3, and three, and they lost to Brown. Um, I would say overall their, their season so far has been up and down. They had that, that, that win in St. Paul, and they've played some tougher competition, but they really haven't had that consistent upward swing that you'd probably want to see going into trials. Uh, I would say the thing that uh, maybe that – they need to figure out in route, route to the trials here is how do you best utilize the skills and talents of their team, particularly the off-season pickup of Rich Runin. I don't know how much they plan to play him at trials. He's the fifth that they picked off of uh, Team Burr's team before they uh, Burr got the opportunity to play in the trials. And I don't know what capacity they plan to play him in, but his talents are really undeniable, and he could be really valuable, particularly if the team struggles to get going immediately. I think maybe the thing that they need to avoid 
is maybe playing with uh, fear that heater style can sometimes bring about. He's a very aggressive skip, and there are going to be some critical hammers that he needs to make, and the sweepers need to manage. And so will these young sweepers of, of uh, Dropkin and Howell be up for the challenge in the biggest stage that they've played in yet? Craig Brown is one of the veterans of USA Curling, and this season his team continues to qualify for the playoffs at most of the events they play, but have difficulty at advancing past the quarterfinals once in the playoffs. Sure, you know, Craig Brown's team's been a little interesting in the fact that they, they started out kind of hot. They qualified for their first event in, in August in Manitoba, and they lost in the quarterfinals. Then they lost in the quarterfinals again in a Tier 2 slam in Regina. But since then, it's been kind of uh, off, uh, more off than on. I'd say they went 0-5 in the Shorty Jenkins Classic, and they lost to Schuster in that event in September. Um, and then after a couple weeks, the team really bounced back and made the semifinals in St. Paul. And again, they lost to, to McCormick in that event, who, had, who went on to win the event. Uh, they went 1-3 and three in the Arita Challenge earlier this month, and then they were 1-3 and three again this weekend in Sarnia. Um, so, you know, while some teams sort of have to build on the momentum that they've been getting, I think this team kind of needs to forget the last month and remember what got them to the trials in the first place. Uh, I think maybe the thing that Craig needs to avoid um, – He's had a great record of finding his way into the playoffs at U.S. Nationals. They need to avoid getting out of the patient style that has served Craig well in the past and get themselves in a position to make that best of three playoffs and earn that Olympic spot. Team Clark is one of the two teams headed to Omaha that are not part of the USA Curling High Performance Program. What does their season look like so far, and what do they need to do and avoid in order to be successful at the trials? You know, I would say the word for Brady Clark's this, uh, team this uh, fall has been consistent. Um, they've really done a very good job of qualifying for events. After their first event where they went 4-3 and three and they lost three straight qualifiers, they made the semifinals in their second event. They qualified with a quarterfinal appearance in Saskatoon. They lost to Craig Brown in the quarterfinals of St. Paul in October, and this past weekend they lost in the finals of the uh, Huron event to Glenn Howard. So. Um, they've consistently kind of kept themselves in the mix. They've had a winning record in every single event they've played so far this year. Um, I think they just need to continue the good vibes that they've had in, in qualifying in these events um, and just keep that momentum going going into the trials. I think what this team needs to make sure that they accomplish in order not to kind of lose out on that a a chance to win in, in uh, the Baxter Arena, I think what this team needs to do is make sure that they leave Brady with options with his last stone when they have the hammer. The team loves to play offensively, but at times finds them, themselves leaving Brady in tough spots. When they give him a clear path, Brady is normally money. The final team in the men's event is Team Burr, who were added to the field at the Olympic trials after winning an appeal with USA Curling. Joe, can you briefly remind us of what that appeal was about, and then tell us about Team Burr's season so far, and what they need to do if they want to have some success in Omaha? Sure. Uh, USA Curling had a two-year uh, process uh, put in place to try to decide who these teams were going to be in these Olympic trials. They had the option to pick up the five teams. Ultimately, they selected four back in May, and, and Team Burr, who finished second at the U.S. Nationals back in February, was not one of those teams. They filed a protest, and they were initially refused, but then after an appeal, a three-person panel installed the team into the trials last month. Um, they have a new player, um, as Rich Runin was recruited over the summer when all this was going on to Team McCormick. And uh, so now they have um, Hunter Clausen, uh, who has replaced uh, Richie in the lineup. Their season 
you know, after kind of getting that news, went really, really, it's, it's kind of gone, I don't know, differently than you might expect. I mean, they didn't get the opportunity to really play with Hunter early in the season. Um, so they qualified for the playoffs in St. Paul without Hunter on the team. Um, this past weekend they played uh, and they qualified in Huron. Uh, they lost to, to Brady Clark in the quarterfinals, but Clawson was there. I think what this team is going to have to figure out how to do is how to best configure their team to utilize uh, Clawson in the lineup. Uh, when we entered, when we interviewed uh, the team on the Extra Extra End podcast, they were a bit cagey about what positions everybody was going to play going forward. I'm sure they have a plan, but with Hunter's addition, it's a variable that they're going to need to figure out in, in a hurry. What I think that they need to avoid is resist the urge to play too defensively. Part of Burr's success at the Nationals back in February was playing a more offensive style, something he hadn't been known to do so much. And we'll see how this kind of all meshes with this, the, the new personnel on the team and see if they can uh, channel some of that aggressive play that they had back in February. Joel, let's move on to the women's event at the Olympic Trials in Omaha and start with Team Christensen, the third highest ranked women's team in the U.S. What has their season been like so far and what do they need to do to be successful at the trials against two teams that have been playing very well this season? Yeah, you know, this team, this Corey Christensen's team, is very interesting. Um, they have sort of slowly built upon success after success. And I think that they may be peaking at just the right time as they started out the year one and three at the Stu Stells Tankard in the first event in the year. They went two and two at the Shorty Jenkins Classic. Then they travel across the world to Stockholm and they finish in the semifinals uh, losing to Alina uh, Pates. And they've had a four and two record in that event. They wind up four and three in the Curlers Corner Autumn Gold Classic. They just missed the playoffs in that event. Then they make the quarter, quarterfinals an event in, in Manitoba a couple weeks back, losing to Kelsey Rock. And then this past weekend, they were 2-2 two and two in Whitby, uh, Whitby uh, over the weekend. I think for this team to succeed, they need to forget expectations. We, we've all sort of talked about how they're the third team. Well, you know what? They did really well in nationals against these top two teams, and I think it doesn't matter if they're younger. This can be their time. They're in the trials. This is their opportunity. They're, when you're in this situation, there really should be no tomorrow. And I think that their best chance is to kind of forget those expectations. Um, I think the thing that they probably need to avoid, Christensen, is don't play the game that other teams want to play. Getting into a hit game with Sinclair is unlikely to be successful, and you may need to take some chances with Roth, who has shown patience in past big events. The reigning U.S. champions, Team Sinclair, have had a solid start to their season. Can you take us through their early results, and what the team needs to do to be successful in Omaha? Sure, you know, the, these 2017 national champions have really kind of just built on their confidence after that win back in February. They get to go to the Champions Cup as a result of that, and they qualified for the playoffs in that event. Uh, then they're, in their first uh, Tier 2 slam event this year, they made the semifinals in Regina. Then they go undefeated in the Shorty Jenkins Classic in September, winning that event. They go 3-2 and two in Vernon. They just missed the playoffs there. They make the quarterfinals in the Curler's Corner Autumn Gold Classic. They take a little bit step back at the Canadiens Classic, 2-3 and three record there. But then they, over the weekend, they made the quarterfinals in the Masters Grand Slam. They lost to, to uh, the eventual champion, Jennifer Jones, in an extra end. So um, I would consider uh, Sinclair maybe a team that can really, really uh, contend here at Trials if they can remember the success that they've had over the last six to eight months. Um, the team's confidence should be sky high. I think the thing that probably I would be concerned about 
um, if I was Team Sinclair, is feeling the pressure. This is Jamie's first run at this, and it would be easy to let the pressure of the moment get to them. They're expected to make the playoffs, so some early su- success during the week should help calm any nerves that they might have. The last team left to discuss in the women's event had a breakthrough performance earlier this season, winning a title against a very solid field. Take us through Team Roth's season and what they need to focus on and what they must avoid in order to take that next step in Omaha and qualify for the Olympics. You know, very similarly to Sinclair, Team Roth has every reason to have um, high expectations going to these trials. You know, although they didn't win nationals, they were our world's representatives in the U.S., and they wound up being in fifth place at the end of the day, which is a really high finish. Unfortunately, their season started out really slowly, but then they sort of built upon it each week, and I think they're they're doing really well heading into trials. They went 0-3 in their first event. That was the Arctic Cup uh, way back in, in August. And then uh, they went 1-3 in the Tier 2 Slam uh, back in September. Uh, they make the quarterfinals in Vernon, losing to Holman. They make the finals at the Autumn Gold Classic. They lost to Holman again. I mean, if you're going to lose some playoff games, uh, Holman is a team that you would suspect that that might happen with. But then they come back and they go 8-1 and one in the Canadiens Classic a couple weeks back. They beat Hasselberg in the finals. Um, who are, and Hasselberg is number two in the order of merit. They win the whole thing. And it's probably the biggest win by a U.S. team in, in uh, quite some time. And I think that, similar to Sinclair, they need to remember these successes. This team has solidly built some momentum, and they seem to be peaking at just the right time. If they keep doing what they're doing, they're going to be playoff bound. What they need to avoid is not giving Christensen a chance to believe. Christensen had a rough 2017 Nationals, but again, their wins came against Roth and Sinclair. If, if Christensen builds confidence, they can play spoiler to either of these teams. As I've mentioned several times in this interview, the U.S. Olympic trials will take place in Omaha, Nebraska from November 11th to November 18th. What have you heard about the venue and about the support for curling in that part of the country? You know, this event is in a beautiful arena, Baxter Arena in Omaha. Uh, They did host Curling Night in America there back in August. All the reports that I've gotten back, all the pictures that I've gotten back, indicate that they have a, a... an interested community in this event, and a venue that's going to be top-notch. We're going to be there um, from November 11th to November 15th uh, webcasting the uh, round-robin portion of these events, Um, and I'm really excited about that. Uh, The crowd uh, size is expected to be pretty high. The ticket sales have gone very well as far as I can tell. Um, So I'm looking for a raucous crowd. Uh, Omaha is the kind of city that I guess has – has hosted a few Olympic trials in different sports, and they really get into the Olympics, apparently. So, I'm, like I said, I'm looking forward to a large crowd, but maybe not necessarily the most knowledgeable curling crowd. We'll have to find out when we get there. And finally, Joe, what formats are they using for each of the men's and women's events in Omaha, and where can members of our audience catch some of the action online and on TV? Yeah, so let me go through it for you. The men's side, it's going to be a double round robin, uh, and then a best two out of three finals between the top two teams. For the women, it's a triple round robin with the best two out of three for the top two teams. And it kind of breaks down like this. Like I mentioned before, we're webcasting the round robin portion from uh, November 11th to November 15th. That's going to be on NBCSN's uh, app, so the NBC Sports app. So to watch, you're going to have to download the app and, uh, or watch on your computer. And you might need authentication from your cable provider. I would suggest that people download the app today just to test it out, make sure that you're going to be able to watch it, don't miss anything. 
if there are any tiebreakers after those round robins, they'll be web stream only also, and they'll be on Thursday, November 16th. Then NBCSN takes over, and uh, that's the TV side, and they're going to be uh, doing the playoffs, and there'll be a mix of live and tape delayed coverage on NBCSN. And the playoffs are going to run from Thursday, November 16th to Saturday, November 18th, and they're best two out of three. And the winners of those are the ones who are going to represent us at the Olympics in South Korea. It's now time for this week's Fresh Pebble, your news and notes from the world of curling. The Pacific Asia Championships are nearing their completion, and among the stories from the early part of the event was the first international curling victory for the country of Qatar when their men's team defeated Kazakhstan in the fifth draw of the men's event. Another developing story early in the event was the strong play of the host Australian men's team, led by Skip Hugh Milliken, playing in his 24th Pacific Asia Championship. In the women's event, defending champions Unjung Kim and her team from Korea played well from the outset and are among the favorites to win the title heading into the playoffs. Last week, Curling Canada announced that the 2019 Scotties Tournament of Hearts will be played from February 16th to the 24th in Sydney, Nova Scotia at Centre 200, marking the first time that the Canadian Women's Curling Championship has been played in the Cape Breton region of Nova Scotia. It will be the fourth time that Nova Scotia has played host to the Canadian Women's Curling Championship and the first time since 1992 when Manitoba's Connie Laliberte won the Scotties in Halifax. Previous to that, Halifax hosted the Canadian Women's Championship in 1997, won by Alberta's Myrna McQuarrie, and in 1965 won by Manitoba's Peggy Castleman. Sydney last hosted a Canadian Curling Championship in 1955 when Saskatchewan's Bain Secord won the Canadian Junior Men's title. The Canadian Olympic pre-trials are taking place this week in Summerside PEI with 14 men's and 14 women's teams competing for two spots each at the Canadian Olympic trials next month in Ottawa. The women's event includes 2006 Olympic bronze medalist Shannon Clybrick, two-time world junior champion Kelsey Rock, Team Mada, who lost in the final of the last Olympic trials, and Kerry Anerson, whose team won the Tour Challenge Tier 2 Grand Slam earlier this season and recently lost to Jennifer Jones in the Masters Grand Slam final. The men's event is headlined by Team Morris, who won the 2013 pre-trials and lost in the final of the Olympic trials to Team Jacobs, and also includes four-time world champion Glenn Howard, former Briar champion Jean-Michel Menard of Quebec, and Jason Gunlockson, who competed in the 2009 pre-trials, winning a spot at the 2009 trials in Edmonton. Speaking of the pre-trials, From the Hack recently posted our men's and women's Olympic pre-trials preview on our website. We discussed the men's event with world and three-time Briar champion Nolan Thiessen and the women's event with veteran World Curling Tour player and broadcaster Steph LeDrew. We also have interviews with the skips of the teams competing at the pre-trials. Here is a sample from our interviews with Adam Casey talking about competing in the pre-trials as a hometown favorite and two-time world and junior champion and pre-trials rookie Kelsey Rock discussing how her team has gone about rebounding from a disappointing 2016-17 season. Yeah, I'm, I'm really like like you said. I did I did grow up in Summerside. I went to high school there. I currently work uh, less than 10 minutes away from uh, from the Credit Union place. So I'm very much uh, looking forward to it. And I think uh, played in a couple of players' championships there. So hopefully that'll kind of be a similar experience in terms of knowing everybody that's around. But I think uh, for us, I think it'll be it's always awesome whenever you get the, the opportunity to kind of have that extra level of crowd support. I think for us, in order to to prepare, a couple of things that we did was we uh, I kicked my parents out of their house for the weekend, so they they live uh, about 20 minutes away. So that way we'll be we'll be out of the out of the way of the city, and I think it'll be nice to not be. And everybody tries to be nice. Like Summerside's the kind of city that gets behind behind their athletes. It'd be fantastic to have that around, but just being away from the city and ever being able to have some sort of some home meals and stuff, it'll be 
nice to not be be interrupted and be constantly reminded and be able to kind of just focus on some team things and do some things to take our, our mind off because there's a lot of downtime and kind of have some, some fun activities outside of the rink. You know what? Uh, we did have a lot of talk about, you know, what happened last year. We did have a really rough season and just kind of figuring out what, what went wrong and almost going back to the draw board. So, you know, looking back at our strategy, looking back at how we were throwing the rock, little things like that. I, I honestly think that our team – we put way too much pressure on ourselves last season, uh, coming off a really good season our first year together, and then last year not so great. And I think a lot of that had to do with just putting way too much pressure on ourselves and, uh, I guess, expecting results. And, uh, you know, when they didn't come, it, the pressure just mounted. So I think this year we're playing a little more uh, looser and uh, just sticking to what we know and keeping things a little bit more simple. Our feature interview this week is the next installment in our Road to Ottawa series. This week's guest is Mike McCune, who joined us for an in-depth discussion on the ups and downs that his team has experienced over the past four seasons. And we also discuss why McCune believes that his team is much more ready for the 2017 trials in Ottawa than they were for the 2013 trials where they failed to qualify for the playoffs. Mike, I wanted to start the interview by asking you about the current season. You've played a limited schedule so far. As we speak, you've qualified in three of the four events you've entered, including one final and a semi-final at the Masters Grand Slam. But sometimes results aren't completely reflective of how a team is playing. How would you characterize your season so far? Yeah, I I think you're right. Sometimes results don't necessarily uh, reflect uh, kind of the complete picture of how a team's playing, but... um... I, I actually think in uh, our case it's a uh, it's a pretty pretty good picture of uh, of kind of you know some some good consistency that uh, we've been able to show and um, yeah I I think we're feeling pretty good uh, about where we're at uh, right now and at this point in the season. It's been quite the cycle for your team with a lot of ups and downs. I wanted to take you back to the early part of this cycle in 2014 2015. You were one of the few teams that stayed together following Sochi. How much of an advantage was it for you not to have to worry about a rebuild in the early part of the cycle and simply focus on improving and achieving results? Yeah, I, I'm not so sure it was uh, really much of a of a advantage um, when you look at the whole cycle. You know, having stayed together, um, we we've been together so long that uh, it can be sometimes difficult to find new ways to improve and grow as a team. So we had our own challenges the past, uh, the past four seasons in, in, in their kind of own, own aspect as compared to teams that are just building and forming for the first time. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of familiarity and, and things like that, but um, we, we had to work really hard to, to find areas to improve. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure how much of an advantage that was because it can be it can be a tough task uh, uh, with a team being together so long to finding ways to uh, to improve and and kind of set the bar higher, especially when you're when your peers are, are doing just that. This is a bit of a difficult question to answer, but in the first couple of years of this cycle, your team was in a zone and it seemed like in every game you managed to pull off a couple of key shots when you needed them. For those of us that have been curling for a long time and have never even gotten a sniff of the zone, how does it feel and does it impact the way you approach game strategy when you feel like you can make anything? Yeah, you know, it doesn't always, you know, every event is a, is a little bit different. And, and as a player, sometimes I feel like a grind. And 
then there's times, um, you know, I can think of recently, if we go back to last season, towards the end of the year at the Players' Championship, you know, probably personally one of my, my best events of the year. And you kind of, yeah, you get into the zone, you get to a point where you feel like you can make everything. So it's, it's an amazing feeling when, when that happens and your confidence is, is so high. I think uh, perhaps something that we might do as, as a team with strategy is we might take on a bit more risk uh, when we have some moments or some shots that uh, you know are, are maybe normally a low percentage type shot. Uh, we, we might take that on more often if, uh, you know, if we've got some guys really rolling. Whereas if it's an event where you're grinding for, for every extra point on the scoreboard and every win, um, you, uh, you kind of might have to take that in consideration and, uh, you know, you might have to um, kind of reduce risk and, and really plan on winning some very tight games with kind of strategy and scoreboard management. But uh, there's for sure been moments when we're rolling, feel like we can make everything, and when that's happened, we might look for a, the big shot sometimes uh, a little bit more than we we'd uh, do other times. I've made a point over the past year not to mention the word Broomgate in any interview I've done, but you're one of the teams I got caught up in it because you had not only had a lot of success, but you were also sponsored by Hardline, which was a company that fairly or unfairly many people were pointing at during this controversy. How difficult was that period for you and the team both on and off the ice? That season the brush gate or broom gate or whatever you want to call it season, uh, very difficult. We actually, you know, when, when this was all unfolding, we, we uh, you know, we made a decision as a team to sort of not be in the limelight. We, you know, tried to do good things behind the scenes as far as, you know, trying to support the right direction and things like that. But but uh, we, we really didn't, uh, you know, we weren't one of the, you know the people banging the drums, and you know, really, uh, I think that was that was good for us to try to just um, kind of stay stay below the radar as much as we could. Even though we were definitely one of the teams that benefited from from technology, if, if you want to call it that. Uh, there's no doubt after reflection that we benefited from technology. We we had the best tools uh, for a period of time um, compared to perhaps what some other uh, teams were using. And um, we, we tried as best we could to, to kind of, you know, support the movement but kind of stay out of, out of the limelight and let the, you know, we really felt that the governing bodies needed to step up and, and make the changes. But uh, it, was a, it was a pretty difficult time because there was, uh, there was a lot of misconceptions and, and teams and people that probably didn't have the right info maybe uh, painted our team in a different light than, than we should have been. Um, so it was a pretty difficult time. It was, it was a very, very strange, strange uh, season with, you know, certain teams banding together and just trying to weather the storm and, and get through it. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, definitely a very difficult time and, and uh, you know, a season that uh, I don't really look fondly upon, even though, you know, our results are pretty good. But, um yeah, it was it was a it was a dark time for for curling in general, just as far as you know, a, a lot of a lot of just the the overall feeling. It wasn't a very friendly season, and it was difficult to hear what uh, maybe you know some people believed. Uh, you know, even competitors about each other, and and unfortunately, uh, 
you know, I, I think some people just kind of got their emotions took over and, and some things uh, happened because of that were, you know, that were un- unfortunate. And uh, we were definitely one of the one of the teams that, uh, you know, we tried to stay away from letting that affect us or or getting involved in something that, uh, you know, we regret later. So we, we did our best to to kind of hold up and and uh, wait for Curling Canada and the World Curling Federation to, to do what needed to be done. And unfortunately, it just took a bit longer than, than uh, I think we all had all hoped for. You were a dominant team on the World Curling Tour for several years, but for some reason, your team seemed to get tripped up at the Provincials each season. How big was that monkey on your back getting, and how good did it feel to qualify for the Briar in Ottawa in 2016? Oh, that monkey got to be a gorilla. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. It, it, winning that, finally winning that first provincial was just pure relief. It wasn't even fun <laughs> at the time. Um, it was just a big relief for me. Uh, I mean, each each one of my guys might have experienced it a little bit different but uh for me personally that was just a huge relief winning that first one and um you know just not having to deal with the same questions year year in year out from the media and the same pressures and anxiety and it was just building as as the second place finishes piled up so yeah definitely definitely winning that first one just was just a massive relief and um I think I've said this to a few people, winning the second one was actually fun. I've never had a Provincials where it was fun to play in, and for whatever reason, um, that that pressure and anxiety was almost completely gone after winning the first one, and I actually really enjoyed the process the second time around. So, And we were probably, given the way that season had went, we were a bit of an underdog. Uh, against uh, Team Carruthers, so maybe that played into it a little bit too. But, um, yeah, just, uh, you know, the, the media loves Manitoba Provincials. We have we have great exposure as far as how our province uh, really covers our provincial championships. So it was just uh, so good for that same old story, story not to be written anymore. Mike, I'm not going to ask you about the nitty-gritty behind-the-scenes stuff from last season, but I think it's public knowledge that the team went through some tough times off the ice. How were you able to turn the page basically mid-season and go on to win the Provincials for a second straight time and come within a shot or two of the Briar final? You know what? Individually, our, our performances probably weren't uh, really, really that bad or that poor throughout the season. It's just, um, I think, as collectively as a team, we weren't we weren't functioning very well and the biggest the biggest turning point for us was I, I think uh, we were just uh, a little bit of disconnect from understanding each other on an on a personal individual basis and and just uh, basically needing to give each other a bit more a bit more leash a little bit more of a break and uh, yeah we were we were being too hard on each other and uh, when that um, so basically it was more of the the kind of personal, mental, team dynamic side of the game that we just were so dysfunctional as a team for a few months that um, was really influencing our play. We would just we lost a ton of tight games, and we would find you know rather than finding a way to win and grinding something out, we would find a way to lose. And uh, 
So, I mean, throwing the stone, the the shots being called was was not an issue, but we just didn't have that that uh, team harmony to really pull through in in uh, in tight games and, and against good competition. And somehow, you know, having that that turnaround in January, we were able to kind of put things into perspective and reframe and and find you know we we basically started having fun actually curling again and uh it's kind of a little bit surreal that we're able to do that um i think that's easier said than done but somehow it happened and uh we actually started enjoying curling again and and all of a sudden you know it's not like we were throwing the rock different or calling different shots but all of a sudden that that kind of intangible effect you know the wind started coming around again you basically got your groove back is what you're telling me yeah, and it was then that groove let us down. Like we had a really good back half of the year. Uh, other than I think, other than uh, Team Gushu, we were probably the you know the best trending team in in curling. At least uh, you know that's what it felt like. Uh, so yeah, we felt uh, really good about how last season ended, and then coming into this year, we felt we felt like uh, finally this this was the direction that. Uh, would give us an opportunity in December that that we could actually say, you know, if we can continue continue that, we'll we'll have a legit shot uh, of uh, of winning the trials. After all that last season was for your team, how different was a mindset and preparation different for this season than it would have been for last season? Yeah, I think I think the big biggest thing with the mindset going into this year is a few things. A, a we've been together so long. So, so there's definitely an appreciation of what's coming in this season. There's, there's, a, there's a big appreciation, and I think we're in a good place to enjoy what's coming. And if we can enjoy it, then, then that type of pressure will, will hopefully be maybe alleviated a little bit, but, but definitely handled as best we can. And I think really we felt that we've been doing a lot of work for the, for a long time. So. It wasn't like we were scrambling to get ready for the season. Um, we kind of had a mindset where it was more about maintenance, and uh, we we didn't feel like we had to scramble to, and all of a sudden have to uh, feel like we had to find find a whole bunch of different like add things to our preparation and and game. And I think that's that's really benefited us as far as our start of the season. It's not like we were adding a whole ton of new things to you know to the to the recipe, so I think we're in a really good place where we've had some consistency, um, especially how we trended the last kind of four months of uh, the previous season into this. Uh, we've we've done yeah just that feeling that we've done we've done the work we've we've put in the time, and uh, for us it's a lot about maintenance uh, going into December. Your team is one of only two teams returning to the trials this year with the same lineup as 2013. People talk about the trials being a different animal from any other curling event in Canada. What did you learn four years ago that will make it easier for you when the team gets to Ottawa? Yeah, four years ago we were not ready. Uh, and, and us and a bunch of teams weren't ready. Uh, as <laughs> as, as uh, a lot of the, the win-loss records kind of showed. I, I, we, we learned a ton from that, that situation about how we prepared and the amount of pressure that, that we heaped upon ourselves and being a home trials potentially had an impact there with uh, kind of everything that was going on and and uh, everything that seemed to pile up. Uh, I 
you know, I think old team Stoughton probably could have, you know, probably reflected some of the same same things that I just mentioned. And then having definitely the 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 first briar, but probably more importantly the second briar, that experience of of kind of a long event over the course of uh, you know a good nine or ten days. What's needed in that time frame to uh, perform well and and be ready come the weekend. We actually, you know, that that was. I think that's going to be instrumental to should we be able to to push into the final weekend for the trials. So kind of all those experiences, uh, having the first go at it, and um, we're close. We're a shot away from being in a tie break, but uh, did we have enough in the tank to finish it off? Nowhere, nowhere near close. Even if we had made the tie break, and uh, and kind of seeing how other teams faltered and and uh, had really poor showings. That was big, learning from that, and, and these last two briars, especially the last one, kind of what it's going to take in the final weekend. Uh, I, how, had we not had those experiences, I would say our, our chances uh, this time around would not be very good, but uh, having those experiences actually, should we be playing well, we'll be kind of on the mental side of the game, we'll, we'll have those experiences that will really help us. There are several curling observers pointing to you as a team that could end up playing very deep into the weekend of the trials, with a lot of people thinking you're due for that big breakthrough win. How do you compartmentalize that external stuff, expectations put on a team by outside sources, and allow yourselves to focus on the process, and not on the results and the fact that you'll get to represent Canada at the Olympics should you win the event in Ottawa? Yeah, I, that's a good question. I, I think it's easier to do that once you're actually on the ice playing, to... Uh, then you're in your bubble. You're kind of doing what you do. I think where where you can run into pitfalls and trip up is is kind of how you handle the downtime and uh, kind of like I mentioned before, ha- having the experience of a trials before and then the couple of briars here. That's probably big. That that I think that's been the biggest learning is what to do with the time between games and. Um, because I think that's where you can trip up. Um, we can get in our bubble and play and play through a lot of distractions uh, when we're on the ice. But uh, when when it's downtime, I, I think that's that's the biggest learning that we've had in the last bit. Um, so so that'll be our our where we've got a lot of structure and a lot of things kind of pre-managed and scheduled, and maybe to some aspects a little bit insulated from kind of media and the other kind of distractors and, and, and expectation expectations that can kind of be heaped on you from, from certain areas of, of your life and, and, and media and social media. So I think we've got a good plan in that aspect to kind of put ourselves in that competitive playing bubble. You were in Sochi to watch your wife Dawn win Olympic gold. Did that experience make the fire within you burn even harder to get there yourself and experience it as an athlete and not as a proud husband and supporter? Oh, for sure. That that experience is out of this world, crazy. Just even even amplified by the the tens of billions of dollars that Russia put into that games. That's uh, you know that that was that was crazy. The setup that uh, I got to experience as a as a spectator. So for sure, that was very very motivating. Um, you know, very honored to you know even have gone as a as a family supporter to something like that. And you know what, it was it was actually there where um, you know, in Canada House 
over uh, probably way too many Heineken. They couldn't they couldn't get Molson Canadian in, so I think they had Heineken in Canada. And uh, you know, I think that's where I had some really really deep uh, initial conversations with our sports psychologist, uh, kind of about where I was going as a player and where this team was going. And and that was uh, I think that was instrumental in in kind of creating the relationship that we have with with uh, with him and and what we put together kind of the last. Uh, during the cycle, and um, it's 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 really changed how we how we approach curling uh, a little bit. Uh, I I mean, lots of things have changed in our lives as far as uh, as far as family, but uh, we got we got a lot more kids running around now. But uh, yeah, the, just being exposed to that event and and the people I've met and and actually having a very direct relationship, obviously with Team Jones and how they approach. Uh, the game, um, you know, I've been I've been very fortunate to learn from their team firsthand because uh, they they have been the best for a long time um, in how they approach and and organize and manage uh, big events. So I've been very lucky to have learned firsthand uh, through my wife uh, kind of how about the, how how they go about their business. And finally, Mike, I realize that the focus for both of you is on your four-person teams and the trials in Ottawa, but if both your teams fail to advance to the Olympics, there's still a chance for you and Don to qualify for Pyeongchang in mixed doubles. Now, understanding that both of you would much rather qualify for the games in the four-person event, how cool would it be for you and Don if you were to win at the mixed doubles trials in Portage and represent Canada in mixed doubles at the Olympics? Yeah, I'd take it. <laughs> mixed doubles isn't necessarily my, my best discipline. But uh, I just uh, actually just saw the trials field released uh, just the just the other day, and uh, you know I I think uh, Don and I have a decent chance. There's certainly a lot of really good Canadian teams in it, but um, yeah, if if that's how it goes down, we would you know we're gonna put everything we can into that, uh, and we'll have you know we're fortunate enough to practice and uh, and play out of the same club, so. You know, we'll put a lot of time leading in to that uh, trials should should we both be eligible for that. And, you know, I would take any Olympic experience. Uh, so, you know, ha- having that opportunity to, to maybe represent Canada with, with my spouse would be, you know, crazy, crazy exciting. So uh, we'll, you know, should that, should that be the situation, we'll, we'll be uh, definitely pretty hungry to win and, in uh, Portage La Prairie, so uh, I'm excited about that as kind of a backup, backup second chance to get to the Olympics. Uh, it, it'll be fun, and uh, the the amount of good quality players that we have in that, uh, who whoever wins, will be playing very, very well. And that does it for episode 13 of the From the Hack podcast. My thanks to all of our guests. Join us next week for more interviews with some of the key personalities from the curling world. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at FromTheHack, follow us on Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack. <laughs>